And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Welcome one, welcome all. It is another installment of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. Hope you're doing well. Now in the latter part of the month of August, he is J.C. Sherbert of 247sportsbigspur.com, thebigspur.com. And I am Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network. One of us has been a little bit more busy of late, (laughs) J.C., because in the website world, you actually have some meat now to sink your teeth into with a schedule out in the SEC. Uh, That makes for a much more... I, I, I want to say fun podcast. I, it, we're we're going to tackle some of the heavy stuff at the top, and then I promise you we're going to get into the meat of it. We're going to get into the schedule. There's rankings on the uh, most difficult schedule for each team. And then I even have a little fun with stuff we normally talk about this time of year, Rank, you know, things like top quarterbacks in the SEC. By now, normally we would have broken down SEC, ACC, Big Ten, Pac-12, Big 12, uh, although the majority of the thousands of people that listen to us each and every week are in the South, we do have fans uh, in Big Ten country and even Pac-12 country. In fact, I had a long uh, message I got from a big Michigan fan that's uh, a, a listener to our podcast, Justin. And uh, he was very detailed in what he thought was fair criticism of his league and his conference commissioner. I thought uh, he he brought up some things he agreed with, things he didn't agree with. Uh, And that's fine. Uh, You know, we encourage that. And by the way, uh, at J.C. Sherbert on Twitter, at Morgan on air on Twitter. Mm -hmm. J.C., we had a lot of good response overall. It it was uh, the last couple of weeks, you could say the last few months, but the last couple of weeks in particular have been pretty heavy. But I think people appreciate the way we have handled it. Um, There is no agenda on this podcast. uh, And there is no just blind oh, we're just being optimistic just to be optimistic. We're not fanboys. Like, it's just – I'm just trying to be fair about it uh, in general. And I, I've been fortunate to have some good sources on information, most of which what I've gotten has been correct. There's been a lot of misinformation out there. And, um, and then I find myself – you know, I, I, try, I try not to focus on the job that other people do. You know, however, I feel for that. I get this from college football fans all the time. They're like, man, I don't know where to turn to anymore because like, the, there, there's only so many people that really have, and you know who they are. I don't need to mention them, um, that, that have a captive audience covering national football, uh, excuse me, covering college football at a national level. If it's the NFL, there's about 10,000 people that write articles every week, that have podcasts, that have platforms. Um, there are NFL studio shows every day of the week. The NFL has its own network. You get the idea. But for college football, really, it's more of a niche market and a niche coverage. And so people were just like, I keep getting my information from these guys because I've been following them my whole life, uh, or at least since they've been in the business. And there's only so many options. And every time I look at them or read them or listen to them, it's always so negative. And again, I mentioned the, the you know, the guy from the um, NFL Network, Kyle Brand, who, who took a beating for saying weeks ago after the Marlins fiasco and everybody, you know, the same college football rares, I told you they should just shut down baseball. This is all going to be a disaster. Everything is going to be crazy. Why even play sports? It's stupid to do it. Um, 
And what I would have said if I was, and I heard an interview with him on Dan Patrick after that. He said, you know, I didn't put the tweet down because at the end of the day, I went on the Twitter and after that happened and I looked at, it and I was like, what the hell? All these guys are talking as if they're rooting against the season to happen. I think what got him in trouble, not trouble in the traditional sense, but what got him uh, what, what, what caught the wrath of so many media members and others was he said rooting. If he would have just said, it's clear to me that there are a number of people that cover football, both college and pro, that simply believe there should not be a season. Not that they're rooting against it, but based on what they believe the medical information says, what they believe is the proper procedure is to just not play. And they're going to let you know that with every take that they have on Twitter or elsewhere. And as I always compound it with the same writers, the same people that we're talking about always look through the lens of college football and basketball players are victims of a rig system. They are exploited athletes and they're going to, their take on virtually everything is going to be through that prism. And you know what? I still believe that <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, so, I mean, it's omnipresent like every day. They act like they're the players association or something. They're advocates for, for players instead of taking an objective look at it. And, and, and the, the pandemic has magnified that because they, you know, the, the, that that's a chance to kind of push a narrative because, Hey, we're in the middle of this, you know, terrible thing that's happened in our country and, Oh, it's just not safe. And you're asking these guys to do this during that. Um, and that, Quite frankly, that narrative's kind of fallen apart here in the last couple of weeks. It, it really has, and I and I'll just and look. I'm not picking on this guy. He's got every. I think he's he's bright. Uh, I used to interview him in person at SEC Media Days, and and my I, I don't get into Twitter. Uh, Twitter, Twitter was the wide receiver on the Varsity Blues. Twitter, uh, yeah, Twitter, man. Uh, a tan. That was the other guy. That was the other. Some people, some people call it the tweeter. They're like, I'm gonna go get on that tweeter and get on that tweeter. Stir some stuff up. That tweeter verse. I'm gonna tell you right now, man. There's some trouble brewing over there. Um, but but so I I don't try to get into Twitter wars or battles. I'm not trying to uh, get more attention or likes or retweets. But I just this is the same guy, Pat Forty, who uh, weeks ago, if I was probably over a month ago. When it was pointed out that, you know, the at that time we were talking about a full season and, and for example, Clemson was going to play their uh, final game Thanksgiving week, which they always do. And, and it was, uh, so basically and the students, of course, the semester was going to end early so they could go back home earlier. So the, so the athletes are going to be on campus while the students, uh, they get to go home. It's like. Dude, that happens every, every year. Thanksgiving. That's that's and, and and I was one of like thousands of people that pointed that out. And then this is uh, three days ago. Pat Forty says, "Quote: We don't have good options." That's the that's a quote from his story, and it says why everyone involved in college athletics is miserable right now. Both those who aren't playing and those who are, nobody's sure the best way to proceed. And that was the essence of the whole article. And I got to be honest, I didn't read it because at this point, I feel like I know 
where those articles are going. Yeah, I read it, and he quoted Richard Blumenthal, who's a moron who lied about serving in Vietnam. He's a senator from Connecticut, where really the most relevant college sport is women's college basketball. And, you know, they don't really have up there, because they de-emphasize football, the issues that other schools have. So he needs to stay out of it. You know, politicians in general need to stay out of it. But, but that, that's, that's what kind of, you know, when you can call up old uh, Denang Dick is what they call him, uh, uh, and I'd say that no matter what party he's in, but, uh, when you can just call him up and get an old quote from him, uh, to fit your narrative, you, you kind of know in consent where the political, uh, angle is coming from him and, and where his yeah. worldview is. I mean, uh, it's kind of, it kind of exposes you a little bit there when you use partisan politics, uh, as a reason to reinforce a narrative that, that I don't think is correct. I think there's chaos in the big 10, I think there's cautious optimism um, in the PAC, uh, in the Big 12, SEC, and ACC. And I think after reading the Pac-12's medical report, you know, part of the reason they delayed uh, and are going to try to play in the spring is really specific to the region of the country that they're in. And they they cited some details about that. Um, so I'm not even as even though you know they did they did follow Big Brother. Um, I, I you know I, I think that that the chaos. Uh, is is you know confined to one conference that made a ira- that made a we'll see if it's irrational or not, but that made a a snap decision uh, before everybody else did. Yeah, uh, exactly. And we're going to dive deeper into that uh, in just a second. I'll just I'll just say this too on that on the tweet <laughs> when I what I responded and it actually I, I didn't really think it would even draw this much reaction, but I'm I'm the again I'm not one that is on the active uh, hunt for retweets and likes and everything else. It, I, I'm, I'm on Twitter because it's part of the business. I got in there late, you know, had I, had I got on there back when I was calling games for one SEC school and calling games for Braves, you know, I probably have about another 50,000 just based on when you're associated with a team, you, you, mm. you get more followers. Um, but I, I, I do enjoy – there's a lot of good – for all the cesspool that Twitter can be, there is a lot of good that can be. It's just like the internet in general. The internet in general can be the best invention we've ever had, and it can also be our worst nightmare. But I just said – I retweeted Pat, and I said, I must be talking to the non-quote miserable people in college athletics. Concerned, yes. Miserable and clueless, no. And, and a lot of people got a kick out of that um, yeah. be, because, again, the people that I talk to, of course they're concerned. But they're not miserable. They're not pulling out their hair every night going, gosh, I really don't want to have a season, but I feel like I have to. All right, let me just – I don't want to take a half hour on this, but let me just say something. I, I, I heard um, a conversation with Ryan McGee of uh, Marty and McGee fame of ESPN, and I thought he brought up a couple of interesting points. And, I, you know, you, you, Marty has concerns like everybody else. I don't know if he really – is one of those that feels like playing a season is a mistake or not. I don't know if he said so. I don't think he's been as outspoken perhaps as some of the, the, the other writers that again, we always hear from. Uh, but he pointed out, you know, his father was a former athletic director, which I did not know in, until, um, until I heard an interview with him. His father was a former official college football official and athletic director. So he knows a thing or two about, you know, how higher education works from, from his dad. And for some reason he cited the university of Florida, but you, you could have cited, uh, you know, 10 other sec schools where the numbers would be in the same ballpark. And it, it all goes to what I think 
is one of the more frustrating, underlying, hypocritical things that is going on with the way the Big Ten has handled this. Uh, the athletic budget of the University of Florida is $155 million. That's, I'm pretty sure that's top 10, right? Because I, I'd heard numbers, for example, if Georgia lost out on football, it would be uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of $85 million. LSU about the same. South Carolina, $70, 75000000 million. You know, all these schools, if you lose out on football, you're talking, you're flirting with $100 million. What's, what's 10 or $20 million when you're amongst friends? So $155 million. Now, they have 103 football players. And I, I maintain, why would you – you're going to have to minimize the sideline. You don't need 100 players dressed. You don't need 100 players on the travel roster. I, I think a lot of things will be decreased this year, but that's a whole other story. So the, the cynics keep saying as if they've really stumbled upon this great – they think they're Woodward and Bernstein when they say, it's all about the money. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm here to tell you it's not about anything else. It's about the money. Yeah, no blank, Sherlock. Guess what? Everything is when it comes to the real world. And you're right. It is a business. If you want to say it with a cynical tone, be my guest. But, yeah, college football is a business. And these, and, and well, go ahead. I'm just going to quote you. I'll add one thing. So is all yeah. of higher education, but and absolutely. Well, that's on, where I'm leading. I've got a point on that soon. You, 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 you stole a little bit of my thunder. It, it it's, it is a business. Uh, they are treated differently than the student population. The student population knows nothing what it's like to be treated like a college football player. They don't have nearly the perks and I'm not against the perks. I love the fact that they're getting more than they ever have. And they're about to get even more with name image likeness. Great. I'm on board. Good deal. Fantastic. Uh, so $155 million, and, and there's kind of this cynical tone, blah, 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 blah. What the University of Florida makes in terms of its education, in terms of its tuition dollars, $6 billion with a B. And I, that's just one example. The, the, the University of Georgia, probably same ballpark. Uh, uh, you know, Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio State, higher education overall is a trillion with a T trillion dollar industry. So when you so when you hear oh, college football is worth four billion dollars, higher education at these schools starts with a T, a trillion dollar business. Mm -hmm. And if you notice, the Big Ten in all of its sticking out its chest and looking at af after the well with all of the of the college football nation the players the student athletes you noticed they're having on-site classes not all virtual but kids on campus now why is that jc well for example there's a young man out of smu who has already filed a class action lawsuit saying i'm not going to pay the same amount of tuition for virtual classes. That's not why I'm going to, to college. I didn't sign up to spend $50,000 a year to go on my computer every day and get a virtual lesson. In other words, the Big Ten and their presidents and all their wisdom knew that in order to keep the cash register going, you have to keep at least some appearance of kids on campus and classes, even if it's one day a week, you go to class one day a week, the rest of the time it's online, but you can say it's not all virtual and you can charge 100% tuition. So that's going on, but then you're going to tell the football team, no, 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 it's not safe to play. It's not safe to be on campus. Uh, 
the the hypocrisy on that, I don't think it's getting enough attention. I mean, lost in all of these back and forth debates, that is the most glaring of them all. Absolute most glaring. And again, Kevin Warren, we talked about Kevin Warren and his background. I mean, he's for a first-year conference commissioner, it's a nightmare. We don't know if the president said, look, Kevin, this is what you're going to say and how you're going to say it. I do believe there's a difference between a track record guy like uh, Jim Delaney or uh, present-day example, uh, uh, Greg Sankey, Swafford, all these Bowlesby, all these guys, when you've got 20, 30 years of experience in athletics, college athletics, and you're talking to the presidents and giving them an intelligent assessment of the situation versus a guy who's been a lawyer and worked a couple of years for the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, there's no question about it. And, you know, then you have the report coming out. Sandy Barber, the AD at Penn State, says, I wasn't even aware that there was a vote. I don't think there was a vote. The president of the University of Minnesota who actually is new, used to be at South Carolina, so I know a lot of our audience is familiar with her. She comes out and says there wasn't a vote. There was just a, an agreement with the president. Nobody really voted. That's that's a cluster right there. Some that are saying thing. it was like a raise your hand situation. Yeah, uh, it was, it, it a, was Zoom a, call. Cluster, a Zoom call. It was a crazy <laughs> situation. And now you have the parents of players that are mad because they didn't get a good explanation, et cetera, et cetera. And, and then – you know, this was kind of buried because it's, it's it was in the South Carolina newspaper and not anywhere else. And, you know, I don't know the truth or, or anything on this. Uh, I would assume he believes it to be true because he's the president of a university. He said the Big Ten's study on myocarditis that they cited that made them all worried about it. Because if you, if you read the Pac-12 medical report, which they released in full – the myocarditis thing, it says, it says, yeah, it's an issue. It's something we have to pay attention to. But that wasn't really the primary deal, you know, according to their medical report as to why. They had testing issues and things like that. Um, but the study that the Big Ten allegedly based this on was a study on 50-year-old, uh, 50-year-old patients from Europe. 50-year-olds. Mm. Um and, and, you know, the SEC, on the other hand, you, you, you have interviews with their medical staff and they say, well, you know, we, 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 we're going to screen for that. We know it's an issue. That's something that happens in athletes anyway when they get any kind of virus. And that's a fact. Uh, and not just athletes, anybody. You know, it, 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 you know, me or you could get the flu and develop that, Mike. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so – that, been around forever. This is nothing new. It just seems like, okay, you know, everybody's like, oh, well, the the, the heart thing was a game changer. I, I just don't know. You know, I, I think I, there's just – there's something else well, to it. It was um, a – You know. I, I think it was a tidal wave of – the, the perfect storm. You had the mom of the player at Indiana. Uh, yeah, which is anecdotal, her. and nobody should ever base anything on anything anybody's mother puts on Facebook. That, <laughs> that That's not – that's not something serious people should be making a decision based on. Right, but it, it, it got a lot of attention, as we know. And of there, course. And as we know, there, there are, there are guys, guys out there that cover this for a living that will vulture any story like that the moment they possibly can, and they'll put that to the front of the table. Just like I get asked the question a lot, how come when a school reports 99% negative tests, it's buried but when a school gets like Oklahoma, for example, had all of a sudden nine kids test positive. By the way, that happened 
when they were off for a week and allowed to leave campus. Yeah. Um, but, but that gets, you know, that is front page headline neon flashing lights. That tells you all you need to know. I mean, it just, that that's where we are. And so you have to, you have to sift through the information and the coverage of it to try to find the best recourse to it. Uh, I, I think in terms of what, what the big 10 and all every conference for that matter is looking at it, it still goes back to the L word. It still goes back to liability and you're not going to, you're not going to get these kids to sign waivers. That's already been determined by the NCAA. Greg Sankey was one of the first ones to say, we're not going to ask them to do that. You can opt out. And here's, I am no lawyer. And so I get a little bit skittish when we start talking about medical or legal arguments, but I do have friends that are lawyers uh, and I can tell you what one told me point blank is that if some kid opts to play and that's the key term ops, there is no, not only are you not forced to play, they're offering a full scholarship for you to just sit back and, and not participate at all, which is unprecedented. you got schools that are about to hemorrhage money if we don't have football and they're saying, no, we're still going to pay for everything. We're still going to pay for your every meal, room and board. Uh, your cost of attendance, which is basically extra money. We're going to pay for all that, even if you decide, eh, I don't want to play. But they're doing all that, and you're, you're hearing about all this, and you, you just sit back and you wonder, like, okay, what now? Well, what now is the overwhelming majority of these young men want to participate, to the point where Justin Fields, who's quickly becoming one of my favorite players in college football, if he actually does get to play, uh, here's a kid that's going to be a lock top 10 draft pick. And he's like, I still want to play. He's like fighting. He's starting a petition. He, he's got a couple hundred thousand uh, signatures already because they want to play. But the liability is such the lawyer told me, uh, it, just like with the students that are going back on campus, it's an understood risk. You, you're not going to have 60,000 kids sign a waiver to be on a college campus. And then 10 years from now, if one of them has issues, all of a sudden he's going to win a billion dollar settlement in court. Most people don't believe in the legal community that that will stand up. Now there are still several lawyers licking their chops for such a a case. And, And here's what it comes down to. Like this is what a lot of celebrities have to deal with. Celebrity gets accused of something or a public figure gets accused of something. It's not true. They settle out of court anyway. Why? Because you do the calculus, you do the math. It's worth more to just pay them off and not deal with it than to actually fight it in court. And so what all these universities, and I'm sure the Big Ten had to think about, was how much cost will be involved to defend it in court if and when a player has an issue due to COVID and somehow they're going to say, you are the reason why, Michigan, you are the reason why, Wisconsin, you are the reason why, Minnesota, because you had him play college football. Yeah, but he could have opted out. Doesn't matter. You put him in an unsafe environment. Yeah, but they were catching COVID when they weren't playing football. Doesn't matter. He was under your care. That's yeah. what's at stake. Yeah, it's going to be hard to prove. You know, the first thing you have to do is – you know, you have to prove that they would have not gotten COVID had they not been playing ball. That's first and foremost. The second thing is, you know, you have to prove that the coaching staff was negligent or the medical staff was negligent in allowing players with COVID to play. And you have to prove that they did that on purpose. 
then you have to prove that COVID is the reason they have uh, health issues long-term or, or died. Uh, and that's even something that's uh, because the virus is so new, people don't really know. You know, you have people counting deaths as COVID deaths. I know in the state of Illinois, the health director said, even if somebody dies in a motorcycle accident and tests positive when they die, they're counted as a COVID death. So you got all that to weed through. Um, and then at the end of the day, you have to, to have to prove that the, the player and his family uh, had no other choice but for him to play ball. In other words, you have, you, you'd almost have to have a coach that or coaching staff and a medical staff that had a conspiracy, right? Uh, a freaking conspiracy that said, all right, we don't believe that you know, some of these people that don't believe the virus is real. We don't believe the virus is real here at the University of uh, Shangri-La or whatever. <laughs> Therefore, we're not going to test. You know, and people will test positive. We're still going to play anyway because it's a fake virus. Um, and, yeah, if, if you want to opt out, we're taking your scholarship and you're never going to play ball here again, so you better not opt out. That would have to be the set of circumstances that take place. Um, clearly, I think, to even get liability. Uh, and of course they'll settle and because they're not going to want to go through that and all that. And lawyers are very, attorneys are very nuanced and you can kind of nuance your way through just about anything these days in court. But, but that, that liability thing should not. And I know that, you know, these lawyers that work for these schools, their job is to be overly protective about things. Um, and, and, and I think because the big 10, did not have a can do or want to attitude. I think they almost wanted the season to be, you know, the, the academic end of it almost said, Oh, it's better if we just don't play and remain, you know, kind of, you know, you know, all that, you know, let's just, you know, morally, this is the right thing to do or whatever. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, you have a conference that did not take a can do attitude. Whereas with the sec, they're probably asking their lawyers, how can we play and play safely? Asking the doctors, we want to play, you tell us how it is to be, you know, how we can do it safely, you know, instead of seeking out this information that kind of backs up the, okay, we, we, need, we need to find a reason to postpone or cancel the season. Um, and just like my friend, Josh Pate, uh, he's refused to use the word postpone because they essentially canceled the season. So, so that's what they did. And, you know, we'll see too, you know, something may come of this. There's a new testing thing out that gets daily tests that gives the big 10 cover to kind of say, oh, well, well, wait a minute, things have changed and we can test daily now, so maybe we can come back. I, I'm not going to rule them out in a couple of weeks saying, hey, you know, we, we jumped the gun. Things mm -hmm. look better now. Let's restart because you can, you can manipulate the data to, to tell you that either way. Right. Well, I don't have uh, a, ton in, a ton of faith in a first-year conference commissioner convincing those Big Ten presidents to overturn it based on the saliva test, which most people are calling a game changer mm -hmm. uh, for obvious reasons. The test is quick. The results are rapid, um, but it's, it's cheap, it's cheap, cheap, but, but, you know, but it doesn't change the main reason why big 10 schools uh, and their conference commissioner opted out in the first place. And that is no matter how good the testing is, there are going to be players that wind up COVID positive. So, and, and, and if that's the case, there's still the threat of legal, uh, litigation. There's still the threat of liability in somebody's eyes, right? So I, I don't know how, if, if, if that was the, the basis of everything that you did this on, 
and they're never going to come out and say it. And they were tight lipped and Kevin Warren didn't answer a single question on his own network. Terrible. Uh, I mean, it was, again, I, I, I felt for him watching that interview. It just, I don't know if it's just unprepared or uh, just being kind of deliberately evasive of any knowledge of anything going on. But I just don't believe all of a sudden, because the testing is better, you're going to, to do a full 180 because the testing wasn't the main issue anyway. It's the liability of a kid who tests positive for COVID. And then 10 years down the road, he can claim that he had a heart issue because of myocarditis or something else. I, I don't know how they do an about face after that. Whereas the other conferences, and, and I do want to applaud some uh, journalism here. It's a great piece written by a couple guys you and I know, Seth Emerson, and Josh Kendall of The Athletic interviewing the uh, head, uh, I don't want to call him scientist, but the head doctor involved, whatever, with LSU. And, and, and they kind of broke down why it is they believe uh, it is in their best interest to still pursue football. And it's not a, it's not what you think. It's not a um, kind of the opposite of a hit piece. It's not a manipulation of the facts in order to just give you a rosy picture of everything. It, it's not all hundred percent great. There is still risk. Everybody acknowledges this, everybody. Um, and we know that there's going to be positive tests, just like we know if we have all these kids not play football, there's going to be several that go to parties or if they opt to go home, there's going to be several that get it back, uh, get it back in their own neighborhoods with their own people, because you're not going to lock down 19 to 22 year olds. I don't care if it's a red state, blue state, governor, mayor, mom, dad, I it just, it's not going to work out the way you envision it. Football for a lot of these kids is the safest environment in terms of the minimal, the most minimal chance of contracting it and the absolute best care and handling of the situation when they do contract it. All these things seem to be overlooked in the coverage, but I, I, I don't want to go any further into that, but read that article if you haven't already. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. And I'm, I'm hoping there'll be other people that will uh, do a good job of breaking down uh, what is going on and, and not just be selective in facts and what doom and gloom person to get your uh, info from. All right. With that being said, we're going to get into schedules here in just a moment. He's JC Sherbert. I'm like, Morgan, don't forget to, um, again, I can't thank you. No, I, 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 we, we don't take this for granted. We've been doing this now, what, four years. And uh, we, we have a, an ever expanding niche in the thousands that keeps growing, but moreover than just numbers and quantity, it's, it's the quality of the reviews that we get from you folks that uh, is good. We don't solicit a ton of this. We're not begging for, just like on Twitter, I was just saying, I'm not begging for, for, for mentions and everything else. Well, we're not begging for re great reviews, but uh, as you understand this world better than I do, JC, I know it is beneficial uh, for us and therefore beneficial to keep this going. So for those of you that are on uh, iTunes and you're looking us up and you're giving a review, please give us your thoughts. And if they're good ones, get yeah, be, be sure to, uh, yeah, go <laughs> ahead and, um, uh, yeah, rate us five stars. Uh, we have some five star ratings and I have read some of the reviews. Um, if you leave us, uh, leave us some reviews there and you got a question you want us to answer on the podcast, the next episode uh, between now and next week, if you go and uh, leave us a question there, if you rate us five stars, write a good review, and then leave us a question. Uh, we will answer, you know, three or four of those uh, next week. So if you're, you know, if you ask a good question, give us a good rating. Um, 
you know, we'll uh, be sure to get you a little uh, publicity here on the JC and Morgan podcast. And there you go. And he is JC from the Windy City where they are not scheduled to play college football. <laughs> I'm like here in the That's Mecca, ridiculous. the ATL, where it's full steam ahead, SEC, ACC, Big 12. And with that in mind, we've been waiting on pins and needles for the schedules and leave it up to the SEC to make this a, a marquee event. Uh, that's uh, just smart marketing. You go ahead, you, you promote it. Uh, what people are saying, I thought it was going to come out on Friday. Let me tell you, folks, there's a, a golden rule in journalism. When you want to dump a story, like a negative story, you put it out there right. on Friday. So like if a school is about to go on probation, you throw that out there about 5.15 on a Friday afternoon where it's the, minute, the, most, uh, the, the smallest amount of attention. If you want to get some actual play out of it, you put it on in prime time, you put it on a Monday night, you, you pump it up at the beginning of Fine Bomb, and, and then you, you, uh, you have your ultimate culmination at the end of the show at 7 o'clock, and then you get like uh, all these heavy hitters from the network the, to, to break it down and analyze it. JC, you had a great line before we went on and started recording today. It, it, for you, it felt like normal again because you actually had something to sink your teeth into. You had something to write about on the websites. You had something to feel was was concrete, and it did. Watching it, it felt like, oh my goodness, we really are ready for a football season. I tell you, like, okay, so the weekend before, and I, I actually uh, sent you a text, and we we kind of went back and forth on text the weekend before, not this past weekend, the weekend before. Uh, and and I, I know we, we were talking about kind of the state of things and, and things were not looking good behind the scenes. Um, and, and so I'm going to use 90s and 80s music to kind of describe my mood from now to then. It, it, it was like I went from hurt by Nine Inch Nails <laughs> to to uh, Against the All Odds by Phil Collins. Oh, wow. To back in the high life again by Steve Winwood yesterday. Winwood. Yes. So 10 days, those three levels of eighties and nineties music, that's kind of where my mood was. And I hope you guys, uh, if you haven't heard those three songs, I don't know what, what I don't know what the age range is of our uh, audience out there, but uh, you guys can feel me on that. You know, I went as from- is typical, you think music first, I think, uh, film first. So when you said the Phil Collins song, that was from the soundtrack Against All Odds, which is a movie about uh, it's a it's a really warped movie, like a typical eighties uh, flick with kind of all over the place. And Jeff Bridges, I believe, yes, he plays a wide receiver for like a pro team, and, and they use USFL footage because back then you couldn't. You couldn't afford to get NFL footage, so he's playing like wide out for the LA Express, which happened to be Steve Young's team. But I digress. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. <laughs> Sorry to go on off on a complete uh, tangent, and uh, probably lost ninety percent of the audience with that reference. But uh, you know, rented on a slow day, nineteen eighty four against all odds. Yeah, Just definitely. It, it is a picture of Jeff Bridges making out with a woman on the beach on the on the i guess the i would say the the video cover but we don't have video anymore yeah no. um, so just kind of look that up but yeah i mean that that's, that was kind of my mood and you know i i appreciated the fact i could pop on sec network yesterday uh and i didn't watch you know fine bomb had the the first games up and i kind of followed that online because i was writing something but um i appreciated the fact i could pop on 
you know, SEC today and see the fellas and the ladies on there, you know, Greg McElroy, Dari Noqua, Kirk Herbstreet. You know, it's good to hear those guys again talking about something besides the NFL draft, which is, you know, really all that we've, you know, heard. And, you know, just to, to talk about the matchups and who's got what. And, you know, it, it, you know, these football schedules are usually released at least a year and a half in advance, uh, the order and everything. And you usually know your opponents five or six years in advance. Well, this year it was just like, well, you know, <laughs> we get a treat here on August 18th. Uh, and, and just to see kind of, you know, I think sometimes football schedules when you're in the SEC, uh, I don't want to say stale because it's a traditional conference, but, you know, you, you kind of keep time and expect, you know, you expect Tennessee to play Alabama the third Saturday in October. You expect uh, Florida, Georgia in Jacksonville on Halloween weekend. You expect the Iron Bowl and the Egg Bowl and all those games to end the regular season. Well, they didn't go as radical as the Pac-12 with their hypothetical schedule where they started with UCLA and USC and Arizona, Arizona State, and the Territorial Cup. Uh, those games are still protected for Thanksgiving weekend. But, you know, there's some games early that we don't normally see. Auburn, Georgia, week two. Are you kidding me? We usually have to wait till November to see yeah. that. You know, I mean, it's just a you know, Texas A&M and Bama in week two. You know, so I, I think that, if you're in, in the middle of a pandemic, et cetera, uh, and, you know, you're going to have to go, you know, switch gears midstream, so to speak. Heck, why not make it interesting? And I, I thought that it was very interesting, you know, how all of this sort of, uh, you know, came to pass yesterday. And, and, and by God, Mike, and I know uh, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday uh, that we both know, and she was uh, – she was talking about, you know, the season and all that. I said, well, I, the person that's going to love this is Mike because they're, you know, calling games for the SEC Network. There, there are no bad games. Yeah. You know, there are no snoozers. You, you probably aren't going to have to come up with, you know, hey, what happens in the third, fourth quarter if it gets out of hand, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, you know, I, I, was, I was happy for you, man. You know, I was listening to, sitting there listening to Steve Winwood. And uh, rocking and rolling with a smile on my face. So uh, it was all happy yesterday. I mean, I worked for about 12 hours. That's the longest I've worked, you know, on college football and, and kind of the core of what I do in a long, long time. And, and I, that just personally, it felt good. I think it felt good for fans, media, uh, even the guys that kind of don't want a season or don't think there should be a season. We're kind of tweeting, oh, yeah, look at this matchup in, in uh, week three and whatever. So – Overall, a positive day for college football, for what we do, for America, however, for Steve Winwood, however you want to put it. Love the multiple Steve Winwood uh, references. Bring me a higher love, too. That's uh, yes. a, a classic. I think we can all uh, cherish those words and look for a higher love. My love is for college football right now, and we've got a schedule. Um, just a macro look. I mean, we can't – well, we can, but we're not going to do this today where we just – you know, all 14 teams, kind of like what they did last night and break into it one by one. The Anything that stood out to you? I mean, you mentioned, obviously, Georgia-Auburn in week two. You've got the Iron Bowl that's not going to be the final game of the season. I mean, there's, there's a whole lot of uniqueness and freshness to this that's going to be very exciting with Florida-Tennessee at the very end, I believe. Yeah. Um, there's a, a lot of unique things about it. And the fact of the matter is, again – uh, if you believe um, what is on paper, 
everybody is lining up to play Vanderbilt in Arkansas this year, just based on where they are compared to the other 12. But there's not, there's not really many gimmies on the schedule. It is a gauntlet of, of 10 weeks with one bye week for each team in, in the middle. So this is what fans have always wanted. And I, I know there's like, like, this is not exactly a hot take to say, wouldn't this be great if we did this all the time? Of course, that's what, that's what the fans want. Yeah. That's what TV would love. But at the end of the day, uh, coaches are, you, you know the term I always use, J.C.? Path of least resistance. Path of least resistance, right? Uh, you're, you're not looking for ratings. You're not looking you, – you don't need to have uh, the top strength of schedule. You're not trying to entertain your fan base with the most complicated game. You just want the path of least resistance – what schedule is going to get you into the most playoff appearances, into the most championship games, into the most bowl appearances, and that does not include a 10-game conference slate. So I would love to see this. Sign me up like 99.9% of you. I just wouldn't get my hopes up. It, it's a one-off, and it's a damn good one-off, uh, so let's all enjoy it and hope that it goes off with, with as few uh, hiccups as possible. I'll, I'll read this real quick and then get your overall thoughts, like I said, on the macro, JC. This is from just uh, one publication, CBS Sports. Strength of schedule rankings after it came out. Uh, you want to take a guess who number one is? You might have already seen this. I would think Arkansas. You would, you would be correct. I think that may be the toughest schedule of the history of college football. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty brutal. Uh, they, mean, they took no mercy on a uh, first-year head coach. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty brutal. Uh, do you want to guess who number 14 is? I was surprised at this. So, technically, they're saying this is the easiest. Um, was it what, Kentucky? I haven't seen the article. I would guess Kentucky maybe is because Kentucky's got a pretty favorable schedule if they yeah. can knock off Auburn. No, that's not a bad guess at all. They put Florida 14th. I, I, I think that's I, I over. Disagree with that. <laughs> I think that's kind of overrating. I think, I, and look, Florida's once again, and, and I hate to even mention this because Dan Mullen, you know, some, they've had some off the field stuff that's happened through his tenure. He's 21 and five. <laughs> they yeah. find a way to win. But, you know, they had some pretty significant guys that are, they were talking about opting out the other day, uh, including, you know, two or three of their top receivers and a defensive end. And, you know, so you, you never know what's going to happen there. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know that the Gators. Um, well, he's not basing are, it on Florida being good. He's just basing it on who Florida's ten opponents are. Or, I mean, I just he thinks they're that's the easiest. I mean, they they do play LSU, and uh, who else did they add from? Or they added Arkansas, uh, correct? And they already played LSU and Ole Miss. And, yeah, and, I mean, and, uh, if yeah, you th- I, go ahead, if you, if you think about it, Mike, that maybe that. I mean, I, I don't know that I would say they're the easiest, but. Um, they were the ones kind of griping, you know, when everybody was talking about, okay, they're just going to, we're going to play the next two in the rotation because that would have cycled Bama and A&M onto their schedule. Um, they end up getting, you know, uh, who'd they add from the West? I just said it. They had LSU already. They did add A&M, but they also added Arkansas. So I don't know. I don't know. I just, uh, I mean, you know, as, as much as everybody's predicting Arkansas is going to be a, a cakewalk, it, it's still just one game. So like it, it, 
it's it's like the people that pile on the SC, you know, the Alabama schedule. I played Western Carolina. Yeah. But then look at the other 11 games. Like don't focus on the one week where they played a one double a team. Florida's got, uh, they start off at Ole Miss, which is a sneaky, difficult week one. Then South Carolina at Texas A&M, LSU, Missouri, Georgia, there's Arkansas and Vanderbilt back to back. Okay. So you got the two, uh, pre- pre- presumably easiest on the schedule. And then you got Kentucky and at Tennessee. But if you were, if you were to take the top teams, I don't know, LSU, A&M, a lot of people thought they were going to get Bama. So I guess from that standpoint, they did. Yeah. Anybody that avoided Bama in the East is pretty good, but they didn't give Bama anybody tough from the East. They gave them, um, Oh, well, I mean, you know, Kentucky could have a good year. They gave them Missouri and Kentucky. Yeah. Kentucky has so. definitely become the fashionable pick this year. It's it's almost like a lot of it's it's a mea culpa for a lot of guys going. I, I've undervalued Kentucky for how many straight years? Now I'm going to tell you Kentucky's great. I mean, I had Kentucky a couple times last year. They're they're good, um, and you know Wilson is back healthy, but you you lost some some dudes on that defense now. Uh, I I don't know, and of course you lost Mister Everything, uh, who wound up playing, you know, uh, quarterback in uh. They return, yeah, Lynn Bowden. He's with the uh, Raiders Bowden. now. Bowden, Bowden with the Raiders. Yeah, I mean, they they look. They, I think people like them because they return one of the better offensive offensive lines in the SEC. Yep. Um, I think they like him because they got Terry Wilson coming back off an injury, who did start the year before when they yep. won ten games. Um, mm-hmm. They have running backs. They always do. Their offensive system when they can get behind that line and run the ball. It makes them tough to beat because they shorten games, and they do have some pieces coming back on defense. So, I think people are kind of looking for who that third team in the East is going to be. I think most people say Tennessee. If you look beyond Tennessee, you know, and you look at the starters returning, and you have undervalued the Wildcats and Mark Stoops before, you know, it's a fashionable pick because, honest to God, Mike, I wouldn't have expected them at the end where they were at the end when they eight they won eight games with a wide receiver quarterback um and they 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 won the bowl game came back one eight I didn't expect that as an encore to that 10 and three I thought they no. especially after watching them like against South Carolina earlier in the year where they couldn't move it um I thought they were more heading back to that six and six let's pray for the Music City Bowl to invite yep. us because we got connections there kind of season but so I think that's made people believers you know we'll see you know Kentucky's got to be able to Kentucky has a style of football when they are successful if they play, if they go to Auburn, which re- returns, they got to replace some guys on that defense, and Auburn has to replace four starters on the offensive line, and they got to find a running back. Although I think they have several that are going to be really good. Um, they go to Auburn and they run ball control, and Auburn can't get them off the field. Yeah, they can win that game. They can yeah. beat anybody in the conference, but but they have to play their style, it, and it, it's like the polar opposite of when we used to think about Kentucky basketball under Rick Pitino how, or even Kentucky football under how mummy, you know, where they go up and down the field and all that. This is a, this is a throwback style Kentucky team. This is a big 10 style football team playing in the sec. And that style can get you if it's effective. And if you can't stop it, if you can't get them off the field. Something that won't show up in a stat sheet or a magazine preview of Kentucky. And I can just tell you from, from being around, that program uh, the last few years doing games there their culture is at an all-time high in terms of just healthy stable everybody feels good about the coaching staff 
everybody feels good about their identity. You know, we know Kentucky's not going to out recruit certain teams for certain players in certain regions, but they have figured out their blueprint, what works for them. Uh, just everything about what they're doing there. Uh, it almost reminds me, this might be too much pressure on, on Mark Stoops, but you know, a little bit of what Frank Beamer brought to Virginia tech and, and they, they found their niche and they found a, a way. And I'm not saying they're going to, you know, make, they're not going to, first of all, they don't have Mike Vick. So I'm not saying they're going to play in a national championship game anytime soon. Um, but, but that just Frank Beamer just turned out to be the perfect fit because he, he wound up um, kind of finding the, the, the secret sauce in Blacksburg that hadn't been found out uh, a whole lot. And the same is true. I think with, for Mark Stoops, who wasn't that long ago, I was up there doing a game and, and it was all over the place that he was on the hot seat. You know, I mean, how quickly things can change. But that's that's another reason why anybody who's actually covered a Kentucky game and and talked to players and coaches, why it's so easy to fall in love with Kentucky as a pick. It's not based on pure talent. It's based on a lot of the intangibles and they have them going um, in full effect over there in Lexington. So just to finish up the, the strength of schedule rankings in one particular poll, Arkansas with the hardest, followed by Tennessee. Vanderbilt, South Carolina, Ole Miss, Alabama, Auburn. There's your top seven. Mississippi State, LSU, Kentucky, Georgia, Texas A&M, Missouri, and Florida. I know a lot to disagree with, but just just something to throw out there. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I mean, and and you got to also ask yourself the question – who did this, Tom Fordelli? You know, you, you have to kind of think about – I mean, some of these have to be because of who they are. I mean, this Vanderbilt schedule – I mean, I guess you opened with um, Texas A&M and then they did add Bama. Well, I don't know. There you go. <laughs> say, yeah, I think a- any team from the East that was like – that it didn't add – that did, wasn't scheduled to play Bama, that doesn't have to play Bama, I think they all were like, oh, thank God. Right. Correct. You know, you know, because you look at the other teams in that division, and LSU certainly was the best, one of the best teams in the history of college football last year. I think they still have a lot of swagger. I still think they're going to be good. Can they overcome a mountain of losses? Um, you know, will they be like Clemson in 2017, or will they be like Alabama in 2010? You know, that Alabama team was talented and building back quickly, but they did lose three games that year yeah. and ended up at the citrus bowl where they waxed Michigan state. Uh, and then the next year we saw the dominance return or, you know, Clemson in 2017, everybody's talking, well, they don't have Watson, et cetera, et cetera, but they steamrolled through the ACC and were just as good. And in some ways more dominant and more tough to beat um, before they ran into Alabama in the semi. So, you know, that's the question there, but I think in most people's mind, especially if you're from the East, if you're from the West, you're sitting there laughing, you're chuckling, like the scene in Goodfellas about the, about the, the East teams having to pick up. Well, wait a minute. We have to play who? Huh, what? You know, we, we don't play them, but every eight years, why, why do we have to play? Them? And, and like Auburn's sitting there going, <laughs> you know, because they play Georgia every year. They play LSU every year. They play Bama every year. They play A&M every year. Every single year, Auburn does that. Um, and, and so you, you're looking at LSU, you're looking at Auburn and their losses. You're looking at A&M, which this is a, a pathway year for them but they've never really done it. You know, that they had the season with Johnny Manziel where they still lost two games. 
um, you know, in the even back in the Big 12, when expectations were high, A&M doesn't necessarily meet them. So until they meet them, you're still like, I'd rather have them than Bama. So if you avoided Bama in the East, you're like, oh, yeah, good. Thank goodness. And, and so, so that, that's the deal there. But the, the teams that got it stuck to them are the teams in the West, like Arkansas, <laughs> you know, who, who you're like, okay, all right, cool. We'll play in you know, South Carolina and uh, Missouri. We play Missouri already. So maybe we'll play Kentucky or, you know, we, maybe we'll get Vandy. Maybe they'll, they'll be benevolent to us. Um, and we can, we can pull a win because, you know, Arkansas hadn't won an SEC game in years. And, and they're like, nah, sorry, you're getting Georgia and Florida. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, it's like, oh man, that's just uh, that's 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 very. I mean, yeah, first year head coach. You know, you're talking about Felipe Franks being your savior, which I have questions about. And I like their staff. I, I do. I think you know, when it came right down to it, Hunter Urechek, the AD, who I do think is a, you know, a solid athletic director. Um, you know, he gave it to the guy that wanted it. You know, I, I thought for sure Lane Kiffin, because he had some family history at the University of Arkansas, would want that job. Uh, honest to God, though, if you look at the rosters of Ole Miss and the roster of Arkansas, Lane walked into a better situation personnel-wise in Oxford. But, you know, he, he hired the guy that, that wanted it, which was, was there something to be said about that, even though people were like, well, Sam Pittman's been the best offensive line coach in the country for years one of the best recruiters in the country for years. And then he goes and hires Barry Odom, who before Barry Odom was the head coach at Missouri, was one of the best defensive coordinators in the country to run his defense. He housed Kendall, Kendall Browse to run his offense. Smart. I think the pieces are in place, but not this year. This year is going to be very, very tough for these guys. And, and to sit there and just give them, uh, you know, we're sorry, Arkansas, uh, but we're going to give you um, – you know, the two toughest teams in the East, in addition to the gauntlet you have to run through in the West, um, no, there was nothing fair about that at all. Yeah, we, well, we knew there were going to be a, at least a couple of teams that were like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, not fair. Uh, Arkansas definitely topped the list. And I I understand uh, there was a, a conference call, there were just what you would expect, some heated exchanges. Hey, you, you think the pit ball Sam Pittman got after it? You think, think Leach may have said something? Um, I'm, I'm sure there was plenty of that and, and then some. Uh, plenty of that and, and then some. But, uh, look, I'm, I'm, if that's the biggest controversy we have in the next few weeks, I'll take it. Give me, give me more of it. Yeah. Um, so that'll be um, – and they, they did it wisely. I mean, they've got the three bye weeks in the middle – so you've got the ability to to postpone a game if you need to, uh, not to mention yet another bye week uh, after the end of the season before the conference championship game. It's all set up to work as best as it possibly can. And that's all you can do as a leader uh, is to, to give everything the best possible chance of working as efficiently as possible in a season and in a world right now where nothing is, uh, shoot me if you've already heard me say this before, ideal there's nothing ideal about it uh we're not going to have sellout crowds fans now in the sec this just came down today going to be required to wear masks not surprising and i think it's a small price to pay if you're one of the fortunate 20 25 percent that gets that that gets to have your fanny in the seats so we'll see how that um all goes down all right as we as we wind up on uh on time here i want to throw one more list at you and this is courtesy uh, of your outfit jc 24 7 sports and uh, Barton Simmons, a guy that I know you're very familiar with. Oh, yeah. 
top SEC quarterbacks. This is going to be a much bigger debate than it has been in the past because we've been living in a world of Tua, Fromm, and Joe Burrow for one year, a one-year wonder, Um, but they're all gone. And so now the number one is is debated, and he's got K.J. Costello, the former Stanford Mm. Cardinal quarterback. He loves – I've talked to Barton about this guy for years. He loves K.J. Costello. He's a huge Costello fan. Big fan of this guy. The the fact that he's playing in Mike Leach's offense, I'm sure, played into that uh, when he put him at the top of the list. Number two, Jamie Newman. Uh, Jamie Newman, the Wake Forest transfer, again, physically as gifted as any quarterback in the league. A potential first-round draft pick. Mm. First, well, yeah, you, I just said potential. I'm not playing Mel Kiper. Oh no, no, I'm listening. I'm listening. Oh, okay. I'm uh, listening. Uh, I'm listening. I just it's not right. my take. I mean, I, I know I, it's not your take. I, I want to see him play. I'd be honest with you. I didn't watch a whole lot of Wake Forest football last year, so I I know what the what the measurables are. I'm like you. Yeah. I want to see him. Speaking of, I want to see him. I want to see Kellen Mond finally take the next step. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we necessarily saw that. He's got Kellen Mond number three. I don't think we saw that last year. Kyle Trask number four. Where would Florida have been last year without Kyle Trask? Mac Jones of Alabama, assuming he wins the job. Number five. Of course, he's going to be in a in a dogfight uh, for the job, but certainly showed signs. Remember, even though he had a couple of critical turnovers late, put up some pinball type numbers in the Iron Bowl and a loss. Speaking of the Iron Bowl, Bowl Nix of Auburn, number six. Felipe Franks of Arkansas, number seven. Wow. Um, that makes me wonder who, who number eight is. Terry Wilson of Kentucky, number nine. How about the man with three names? How about John Reese Plumley of Ole Miss? And then you've got, let's see, Garitamo of Tennessee. <laughs> Sean, I mean, he's like the ultimate. Well, I never know what to expect out of that. Guy. Yeah, I, I've never been a big fan of Garantano. I, I, I always like. I start leaning negative on him, and then he'll come up with a a, Huge a big game. game, and and he'll do all the right things and say all the right things, and I want to become a fan again. Twelve is Sean Robinson of Mizzou. Thirteen, Miles Brennan of LSU. Fourteen, Ken Seals of Vanderbilt. Your thoughts. South Carolina's quarterback wasn't even on there. Huh? Uh, wait, you know what? I might have – hold on. I'm sorry. Ryan Holinsky was 10. Ryan Holinsky was right behind Plumlee. Yeah, he may not um, even – that may not even be the starter at South yeah. Carolina this year. But, uh, you know, I Sean Robinson to me is probably a little too low uh, depending on what Eli Drinkwitz kind of wants to do at Missouri as far as his offense goes. Uh, I certainly think Plumlee, to me, would rank a way ahead of Felipe Franks. You know, Felipe Franks, to me, would be kind of in the bottom. Um, I I think he's got a lot to prove. Um, And and I think had, you know, had Florida not put Kyle Trask in, and I know Franks got hurt, I don't want to say that an injury to a student athlete was a positive thing because, you know, I have class and things like that. But – Kyle Trask stepping in, you know, you were watching that Kentucky-Florida game, man. They had them on the ropes for the second straight year. That game had Franks continued with as poorly as that offense was looking and as, and as bad of mistakes as he made in those first two games. They lose. No question. Kentucky was up 21-10 late third quarter. Trask comes in. He's a cool operator. Uh, I'll say this, you know, back in my days as a recruiting analyst, and we're, we're getting to the point where – I don't have very many guys still playing that I evaluated, 
But McIlwain, uh, Jim McIlwain signed both Trask and Franks in the same class. And I watched both of them's film. And, you know, McIlwain, square peg and round hole, tried to play Franks as this pro-style quarterback. And it's easy to fall in love with his arm and his measurables. But out of high school, Trask is Trask film. I was like, this kid Trask, man, because he, he is a Texas quarterback, kind of a gunslinger, all that. He's probably better for what McIlwain likes to do. I changed my mind once Mullen got there because Frank's big runner. You're kind of intrigued by that. But, boy, Trask came in and then didn't, didn't steer me wrong. I would put him ahead. Here are my questions. Um, and, and I understand the K.J. Costello pick, just number one, because Barton loves him. He's always loved him since he was at Stanford. And, and he was right that that kid was a heck of a recruit and all that. Um but the type of quarterback he is, Mike, he's a tall backup. I mean, sorry, a tall sort of pro style passer. How many of those guys at 6'5, 233 that aren't terribly mobile? And you don't have to be mobile in Mike Leach's system. But think about the guys that have succeeded. They're not these big, you know, pro style guys. You know, Patrick Mahomes is a relatively big guy, but he's also, you know, kind of that that quick gunslinger type, um, you know, Graham Harrell was that type of guy. Cliff Kingsbury was that type of guy. Baker Mayfield, uh, who essentially played in the same system, was that type of guy. All got, Minshew that he had at Washington State was that type of guy. You know, so, so, so there's my question about that. That that system is so reliant on quarterbacks dropping back and being making those quick decisions. If he can do it, he could maybe win the Heisman. <laughs> but I, you know, th- there's my question with Newman. I did watch a lot of Wake Forest ball last year because I love their offense. I, what's Georgia going to do with a guy like that? You know that that that's my question. Um, does he have? You know, was he a star because the system kind of helped him propel that way? Because I'll be honest, when they played Clemson and teams like that, he was a non-factor. Um, or you know, surrounded by better talent, you know, what, how is he going to, you know, I, I don't know that Newman is a guy that I would just go crazy on. Um, and, you know, those are the things that stand out. I didn't definitely Felipe Franks to me would be way at the bottom because I, I just, I, you know, and he's got to go into a system too, that Kendall Browse runs that, you know, it's kind of like his dad's where those, you know, the type of quarterback Franks really is, hasn't necessarily succeeded. So lots of questions about quarterbacks throughout the league. Um, I know this. I think the kid at Alabama is going to be good. I think Bo Nix is going to be really good. Um, Bo Nix and Kyle Trask would probably be my top two returners, uh, if you ask me. Um, but that's uh, – oh, and Kellen Mond, of course, uh, up there in the top three. But that's that's really it. I mean, even Miles Brennan I have, you know, some doubts about uh, heading into this season. I, I think – even the bigger story beyond just Newman at Georgia again, uh, now with, with, with Munkin in there calling plays, d- does Kirby let that offense develop? <laughs> uh, take, take the training wheels off, so to speak. Yeah. Um, maybe Jake Fromm was more limited than we thought. Obviously NFL scouts thought so, but, uh, by the same token, I, I, I look at Jake Fromm's offense, excuse me, um, Georgia's offense the last few years and I see what Kirby saw at Alabama in like 2009 before Nick Saban started hiring people like Lane Kiffin and starting started throwing the ball 40 times a game like everybody else in college football I think Kirby looked at it as well I want to win games the way we wanted Alabama before that transformation 
and, and I want to win on running the ball, playing outstanding defense. Uh, the passing game is part of our offense, but we're not necessarily going to lead uh, the league in any passing categories because that's not our MO. I, I, I think I know Georgia fans would like to see that opened up a little bit and, and maybe they now have the quarterback to do it. We shall see. Uh, one other note here, just uh, coming off the, uh, the, the wire, nothing major here, but the AAC, oh, by the way, they are playing in the American. And I think it's a huge get for them to be playing while two of the power fives are not, uh, the, uh, Mike Oresco is very ambitious in getting that league, uh, more cachet, if you will. This will only help this year. The officials uh, with that league and the school presidents did meet this morning. They still plan on going ahead with college football, just as is the ACC when they meet. The Big 12 met, what uh, was it, Friday, Thursday last week. Same thing. Big meeting, talked about everything, looked at data, talked to doctors, still going forward. So, and, and Conference USA, oh, by the way, still going forward. Sunbelt, still going forward. So that, that's what you're looking at right now. You've got those six leagues, those three power leagues, planning on playing uh, as we sit here on August the 18th, about a month away from week one for many of these leagues. Let's just keep our fingers crossed that the news continues to be good. Exactly. And, uh, you know, want to remind everybody once again before we go, go to the uh, Apple podcast page uh, right there, the J.C. Morgan podcast where – you probably have subscribed. If you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and do that because I know we're also on Spotify. Rate us five stars. Leave us a review. And if you if you drop a question in there, me and Mike will have a little mailbag segment next time. So oh, we like you, you kind of drive the conversation. That's only exclusively your people that rate us five stars. <laughs> and, and drop the question. Make sure the question, you know, we understand what you're saying and all that. But you can do that at, at the uh, iTunes, Apple Podcast. Uh, page it's real simple you can do it from your phone if you have an iphone or, or go on from your desktop to uh the apple pods and, and do that that we appreciate that because that helps us get our message out to everyone absolutely and for one lucky reviewer and uh and correspondent there uh you get to pick which steve winwood song jc will sing on next week's podcast <laughs> and jc will sign a pact that he will watch at least one season of Last Chance You since uh, this past one was the last one they're going to do on football. No more. They had old, uh, I think it's Laney College in California. I wound up binging yep. on that. Not nearly the magnet, you know, not nearly the high-profile athletes. You know, the other ones that were in Independence, Kansas, and in Mississippi, you had, like, SEC players that, for whatever reason, transferred and played JUCO for a year. This is more like the kids that are just fighting to play for the back. This I, uh, is yeah. Level. I, uh, I saw the, uh, did see the viral clip of the coach from East Mississippi, uh, getting a fight with the referee that was, uh, that's almost like a, a obligatory for every season of last yeah. year. I'm like, the coach wow. has to get into a fight with a ref. I mean, man, it was, uh, it was, it was hardcore too. He's a big old boy on the sidelines and he went after this ref and, was just like, oh, it was going to push me. And I was like, oh, my God. What? I was watching, like, a compilation of college coaches going crazy, um, you know, or fun doing funny things or weird things or whatever. And, uh, my favorite coach, is still Jason Brown. I think you'd love him. I think yeah. you'd love Buddy Ste- – is it Buddy Stevens? Buddy or? Stevens is the guy that got in the fight that, that I was you, watching. You would love him. Uh, those are the first two years. And then I love Jay Brown uh, from Compton who coached the last – uh, the was it the next two years 
before, and he probably still would have been on the show because he is TV gold. But they wound up getting fired because he said something insensitive and so on and so forth. So now I, th- I think that unfortunately the show is starting to fizzle out a little bit. But um, yes, you're, you're going to sign a pact for some of our listeners that you're going to watch at least one season of Last Chance You. All right, I'll, I'll definitely do that if people go to the iTunes store and do that. So or the, the Apple Podcast, they changed the name. It's it used to just be iTunes. Now it's at Apple Podcast. But it, you know, same principle right. on your iPhone. If you hit the button that says podcast, it'll t- it'll do type in JC and Morgan. I'll take you right there. Gotcha, JC. Enjoyed it. We'll uh, talk again soon. Have a great rest of the week. All right, brother. Take it easy. So long, everybody.